Welcome to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. Broadcasting from Edinburgh, Scotland, across the globe. You're listening to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed, the people's podcast. Here to rock the podcast world. Hello, welcome to Hadrick and Ramsey Unleashed. It's the Sutherland again, broadcasting this time from Punta Cana again. Yes, that's right. It's a tough life, but once again, I'm sitting in the Caribbean with work. Rather nice day outside, back in the uh, Bavaro Hotel in Punta Cana for one night. Lovely place, although the bath appears to be in the middle of the room. I don't know why this is. It must be the latest fad of putting the bath in the middle of the room, but when I'm lying back in the bath, scrubbing myself clean. I don't really want to be in the middle of the room, particularly if you're sharing with somebody. It doesn't really matter if you're just by yourself in the room, does it? But uh, why would you want to sit back in the bath in the middle of the room? Makes no sense at all, but never mind. Anyway, the big news is... It's over! It's over! Yeah! 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 It's over! That's right. The Labour Leadership Contest is... Over! Pop the champagne corks put up the bunting. Finally, it's over. My goodness, that was three months of these non-entities just dribbling on left-wing rubbish for three months. Absolute nonsense. And yes, guess what? They finally announced the results on Saturday that uh, Tom Watson, he's going to be the deputy leader of the Labour Party. He's a bit of a, a henchman, really, Tom Watson. Bit of a bad boy. Bully hates the media. So I don't know how that's going to go with the media, since he absolutely hates them. So uh, that'd be interesting. He won on the third round, or third count of the votes. They take the second votes into account. Um, And he's uh, the deputy leader. He was asked to give a very brief speech, then droned on for what seemed like hours um, in his speech on the the Labour, uh, when when they were announcing the, the leader. Um, Anyway, the main event, of course, is that the leader now is Jeremy Corbyn. That's right. It actually happened. They voted for a communist. 59.5% of the vote. He won it in the first round. He's got the biggest mandate of virtually any political leader since the Second World War. His nearest rival, Andy Burnham and Flogham, got 19.5% of the vote. So... uh, 40% 40% less. I mean, it's an absolute landslide for Jeremy Corbyn, uh, who's been exhumed from the back benches to uh, lead the party to, uh, well, who knows, maybe political Armageddon or maybe victory in 2020. With the way it's going in this country, I just cannot tell. I really don't know about this one. So leading the party is Tom and Jeremy. So Tom and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't make it up. It's a cartoon party now. You can imagine them just running off a cliff and suspending in midair while their legs keep going before they just plunge into electoral oblivion. Oh, well, never mind. So it's all, all go. Um, he's been a, appointing his uh, shadow cabinet. And the, the mainstream media's gone crazy about this. They are saying, oh, there's no women in it. There's no women. What about the women? What about the women? It's all men. It's all men. Well, as far as I can tell, it's not all men. In fact, it's mainly women. So I don't know what they're going on about. And despite that, 
What the main problem is that is not the ratio of men and women. The main problem is that they're all a bunch of communists. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to me, that's the main problem here. I mean, men, women, well, whatever, don't really care. Men and women can do jobs equally well. It doesn't matter. You know, what does it matter? The fact is, they appear to be a bunch of commies who hate Britain, who absolutely hate this country, everything it stands for, hate its history and its place in the world and the freedoms that we've fought for. That, to me, seems to be the main concern. So who's he appointed then? Uh, well, he's shadow uh, chancellor, which is probably the most important role in uh, any uh, shadow department, is a guy called John McDonnell, who's uh, another old uh, Trotskyite friend of Corbyn's, a uh, bit of a uh, rebel from the back benches. Uh, was on the Greater London Council, actually, served with Ken Livingstone in the early 1980s, but Ken Livingstone actually fired him for being too, too left-wing. I mean, this is the shadow chancellor. Too left-wing for Ken Livingstone. It's uh, extraordinary stuff, really. Also being quoted as wanting to shoot Thatcher. Um, so, a, a lovely chap, really. Absolute uh, delightful fellow, this John McDonnell. Wants to raise taxes on the middle class raise uh, business tax uh, and just start printing money, really. So, uh, yeah, not quite sure how that's going to work. Well, so who is the Shadow Home Secretary, I hear you ask? What's the other big role? Well, that's right. They managed to get Andy Burnham, who had this road to Damascus experience, having been probably one of the more right-wing people in Blair's government and Brown's government with the PFI deals with hospitals. Now seems to have had this complete about face and become a raving lefty. You know, this guy has no principles whatsoever. Whatever he has to say to stay in power and keep his levers on the uh, controls of government, uh, he'll say it. He has no beliefs. He's absolutely no beliefs. He just goes with the wind. Whichever way the wind is going, that's the way Andy Burnham goes. And hey, guess what? That's why he only got 19% uh, of the vote. Because people hate that. People hate that. Corbyn knew what he stood for, and that's why people voted for him. He didn't patronise people, he knew what he stood for, and he stuck by it, even in the face of really quite vociferous criticism. I mean, I, it's, it's nonsense, obviously it's nonsense, but if you believe in something, then, and you've got a passion about it, then people, people notice that, you know, it affects people, and they voted for him. Burnham believes in nothing other than his own advancement, uh, climbing up the greasy political pole in Westminster. So he's been given the Shadow Home Secretary job. In fact, he's the first ever Shadow Minister to be made of Lego, with his uh, big Lego head and his big Lego eyebrows. So that's an interesting little fact. Who else then? Hillary, Hillary Benn, Tony Benn's son, Benite, the mad lefty Tony Benn. He is uh, to be the Shadow Foreign Secretary, I believe. So uh, that'll be interesting. He seems a reasonably nice chap, Hilary Benn, to be honest. Uh, not quite as uh, radical as his father. And who's made it in there too? Yeah, the stunning Eagle sisters. Uh, Shadow business secretary is Angela Eagle. She's a, she got Chucker's job. Chucker Muna, he was the Shadow business secretary. He got fired. He got fired. Isn't that fantastic? He got fired. His smug little face... Oh, no, I'm fired, oh, no. So he was uh, thrown out with the uh, the bathwater, Chukaramuna, for basically... Well, I mean, what a weasel he is, honestly. Stood down, having initially stood for the Labour leadership, he then decided that probably he wasn't going to win, so he'd let somebody else take over. Then he, rather than the others, at least 
had the decency to say they would not serve under Jeremy Corbyn. He just he just hedged his bets, didn't he? He thought, oh, what's he going to offer me? What's going to offer me? Maybe I'll be shadow chancellor. Maybe, like hell, he was he ever going to be shadow chancellor? No, he put the communist in, John McDonnell. So, uh, with beautiful irony, he was fired, fired by Corbyn. So I actually respect the guy for that. Get these careerist little weasels out of politics like Chuka Amuna, honestly causing himself Britain's Obama. It's absolute nonsense. Who does he think he is? So got Angela Eagle takes his place in shadow business uh, secretary. Uh, her sister, Maria Eagle, is the shadow defence secretary. Don't know much about her, to be honest, other than she's Angela Eagle's uh, twin. Know nothing about her at all, actually. Maybe that says a bit. And guess who stays on um, as the shadow attorney general? Well, that's Lord Falconer. Who'd have thought Tony Blair's flatmate staying in the shadow cabinet, eh? That's a bit of a turn-up for the books, but I suppose he knows his brief. Uh, quite a useful guy to have on side, I suppose. Who else? Well, it's uh, that intellectual heavyweight, Diane Abbott, International Development Secretary, or Shadow International Development Secretary. Um, yeah, Diane Abbott, well, I don't know. I, I, I saw her in the in the mayoral uh, hustings back in July, I think it was, and she seemed to have absolutely nothing to say about anything. She just drivelled on. So probably perfect for international development, really. Uh, That really is just drivelling on. Lucy Powell, she got education. Don't know much about her. Um, But, yeah, there you go. Um, So that's the government. And as far as I can tell, they are mainly women. So I don't know what the mainstream media is going on about, about the fact that there's no women in there. I've got Lucy Powell, Diana Abbott, Maria Eagle, Angela Eagle. I know there's some other women there too. So I don't know what they're banging on about. So what about the others? Well, the uh, Liz Kendall and Yvette Balls Cooper. Well, presumably they're just going to slide back under whatever little stone they emerge from, head back to some quango or charity or office of the third sector where they can drone on and bore people rigid about human rights and issues and all this kind of nonsense. So they're just going to disappear into the background and uh, we'll just see how it goes. Uh, Interesting times, that's a bloody sure. Um, Where are they going to go? Are they going to win? Are they going to lose? I I don't know. Is the party going to hold together? Is it just going to split in two? I've no idea. The trouble is if the Tories don't become a little more sort of sure about what they believe in and uh, have some strong opinions and become proper conservatives, then I really think that these guys are going to do quite well because Jeremy Corbyn believes what he says and he'll take people with him. Look at Scotland and the SNP. All their policies are nuts, absolutely nuts. In the real world, they'll never work. But people voted for them in a landslide. It's almost like a cult. It's brainwashing people. And Jeremy Corbyn could very easily do the same. In fact, Scotland could be interesting because this guy is uh, into the kind of fantasy politics that seems to be currently in vogue up there. So maybe the the SNP will lose some support to uh, the Corbynistas. Who knows? UKIP? Well, Corbyn is no fan of the EU. He he doesn't like them at all. Um, In fact, he was apparently said to Chukar Amuna, Chukar, of course, will say anything whatsoever to raise his profile. So he let slip that Corbyn had said he wasn't sure he wanted to remain in the EU. So what's that going to do for UKIP? Well, if suddenly you've got a left-leaning guy who's anti-EU, then he could definitely take votes off UKIP in the north of England and get them back to Labour, where they've lost a lot of votes. So that's a bit dangerous, I think. Middle England's not going to like him, though. I can't see that. Uh, England generally quite a conservative country. 
uh, particularly in the South. Uh, so it depends if what he loses in England, although he's lost most of England anyway with that horrific Ed Miliband disaster. Um, so it really depends how much um, more he loses in England compared to the gains he's very likely to make in Scotland and the north of England. So very interesting times ahead indeed. Anyway, so that's about it. Um, Tom and Jerry now in charge of the Labour Party. So uh, that's all, folks. Enjoying the show? Tell us about it. Send us your feedback, suggestions, or thoughts to hattrickandramsey at gmail.com. What's up? It's your boy Relevision, host of Five Mics Radio, Fridays at 11.30, live from New York. Shout out to the Hattrick and Ramsey podcast. This show is brought to you by EdinburghDusters.com and IdeasGoingLive.com. Welcome back to the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed podcast, the second part of the Sutherland's podcast. Well... I'm going to talk to you about migrants today. Since we last spoke, which is, uh, well, over two weeks ago now, it's been a complete U-turn in David Cameron's position on migration. He was standing firm in the middle of August that Britain has got enough, we've had enough immigration, we really must respect the rights of people, blah, 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 blah. On he went about all this nonsense. Well, suddenly, this child, this child was washed up on the beach in... uh, in Turkey, wasn't it? And the Turkish policeman was carrying this dead boy, three-year-old boy. Of course, very, very sad, but uh, these photos was taken of him lying sort of on the beach. Some people said it was staged, actually. There are other pictures around which show the boy was actually washed up on rocks. And there was a picture um, in one of the newspapers of the boy washed up on rocks, who was then apparently moved to the middle of the beach and... Uh, um, to make it look more photogenic, I, I suppose, um, to, to make the appeal. I don't know if that's true. Um, if it is, it's pretty sick, to be honest. Uh, but anyway, this picture seems to have completely changed the, uh, the, the way people are, th- are thinking about this. So Cameron's, OK, we'll take them. Yeah, we will now take 20,000, having said that we weren't going to take any. Because um, the British people don't want this. I mean, we, we, there's been mass immigration into the country and various communities have seen massive changes in uh, the uh, makeup of, of their uh, populations. Um, of course, it, it doesn't tend to be Islington, does it? Or Whitney in Oxfordshire. That, they, those communities are not the ones getting affected by this. So uh, the mainstream politicians and probably the media, they don't live there in these places either. Uh, they probably have no idea what's what's going on. So complete uh, about-face, helped by the media, of course. The BBC have been uh, there every day um, in, in Turkey, um, showing all the migrants, and also they're coming across Hungary, Bulgaria, Austria, and Germany, because Germany's... Um, Said we welcome all the all the all the migrants. We welcome all the migrants into Germany. We want more and more of you, um, idiots. Angela Merkel. So what's she gone and done? Now they've had to close the borders this morning, because the the trains there's just there's tens of thousands heading to Germany. And finally, the German people said, actually, maybe we can't take all these people. Well, why can't Hungary take a few? Why can't Austria take a few? Why don't some of them stay in, in Turkey? So they've had to close the border. They've had to break the Schengen Agreement, having about 10 days ago said that uh, Britain should be doing way more to help um, and should allow these people in. They, they've completely... They look absolute fools, Angela Merkel. Absolute fools, they look. And the BBC's been in, in, in Germany... Uh, sorry, in uh, Hungary, uh, near the railway station, filming people... Um, uh, 
they're all, according to the BBC, these people are all leading brain surgeons, or they are tremendous philanthropists. Uh, that's what these people are. Uh, none of them are economic migrants, apparently. They are just the most highest caliber people you've ever met, uh, families with vulnerable children coming over. Sky News, not much better. They Apparently Sky say they're all prize-winning, Nobel Prize-winning scientists, uh, cancer-curing scientists, uh, the absolute elite of uh, technological world coming over from Syria. Um, maybe, but as far as I can tell, they mainly just look like economic migrants. I have to say, uh, I'm, I'm sure some of them have had terrible problems uh, coming from Syria, um, but they, they pretty much just look like migrants, particularly if they're in Turkey or they're in Hungary. They're, they're not... Well, Turkey isn't a war zone, and Hungary isn't a war zone, so... Although they may be a refugee in Turkey or a refugee in Hungary, I don't even see how they can be a refugee in Hungary either, to be honest. Um, Surely once they've got to a safe place of refuge, they are um, economic migrants, aren't they? But none of the mainstream media is saying this. BBC won't, Sky won't. Um, So the the way that they're spinning it is that they are all refugees who must be taken into Britain. Uh, I don't really see how that can be the case. I don't think... We, we should obviously help. We must help. Um, it is terrible what's happening over there, all these people being killed. I can't stand it. But uh, they're just lying to us. And I think the British people realise that they're just lying to us. Uh, and it's causing a lot of disquiet and unease uh, in the uh, in the UK at the moment, I would say. I, I don't get it. I think we should... I've said it before with the international aid budget. We should re-channel that into Turkey or into countries uh, closer to Syria to help these people, uh, I would have thought, get refugee camps there, uh, feed them tents, do everything we can to make their lives as easy as possible, as pleasant as possible while the war goes on. Um, Just accepting them into the country doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. I mean, if... I'm trying to think of an example where if your house burnt down and you lived in London, for example... So you'd effectively become a refugee. You'd have nowhere safe to live anymore because your house had burnt down or was on fire. So would you then want to stay in Aberdeen? Oh, yeah, in that case, I'm going to stay in Aberdeen. Or would you want to perhaps get somewhere much closer to where your house was so you continue to have your family, your job, have your culture, your religion? Um, I, I don't understand why you'd move miles away from your house. You'd go to the nearest safe place, wouldn't you? Um, and uh, await till you could safely return to your house once the fire had gone out and you'd rebuilt it. So why you'd want to go all the way from Syria to Sweden or Britain, I don't understand. I don't understand. As far as I can tell, that is, you you are an economic migrant. Don't blame them for that. I just don't like being lied to by the BBC and Sky News and much of the newspapers. uh, Certainly, to me, they're just lying, uh, lying through their teeth, to be honest. It's a, it's a difficult one, it is. It's obviously some big problems out there and some desperate people. But uh, they're just lying to us, and people people know that. And also, what's happened about Calais? It's amazing how the media just changes the um, the narrative, isn't it? Uh, three or four weeks ago, it was all about Calais. Calais is a disaster, the jungle. All these African migrants trying to get over. Isn't it awful? They're stowing away on lorries. They're hiding on the... the uh, Eurostar trains running through the tunnel getting whacked by Eurostars at 200 miles an hour. It was all a bit of a nightmare, wasn't it? Not a bit about that recently. Not a jot about this. So is that fine now? 
Is that fine? It just shows that we get fed by the media what they want us to hear, what they are trying to push at that particular moment. I don't believe for one second that anything's changed in Calais, actually, but I haven't seen a damn thing on the news about it for the last two weeks because the whole media has gone to Syria or Turkey or Hungary, where the latest wave of refugees are coming from. It's amazing, really. Presumably the lorry drivers are still having the same problems in Kent. They're still having their wagons broken into. They're still being threatened. British holidaymakers coming over in motorhomes are still being turfed out of their vans while uh, thousands of migrants jump in and cling on the bottom as they drive across the channel. That's going on, but nobody's talking about it anymore. It's just, it's extraordinary. And of course, the charities, the charity, they love it. The charities love a refugee crisis. They're all in favour of refugee crises, aren't they? I mean, they finally, they've got something else to focus on. They can take their minds off uh, chugging around the streets and uh, intimidating people into giving money, hounding old people into signing up direct debits. They can give that a miss for a while and they can uh, go on the major sort of uh, moral crusade against the, the, the migrants, uh, trying to get some money out. They love it. Think of the promotions. Think of the money. There's, you know, there's massive money in this. They, they absolutely love that, don't they? Um, uh, so that they're 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 on the move, uh, so they're pushing it all too. Yeah, it's uh, it it is interesting how they uh, how they've how they've done this, and um, it really makes me think that even in 2015, we just get told exactly what either the government, the BBC, or the mainstream media want us to know. It's incredible how they steer public opinion. It's actually pretty terrifying, actually. And uh, you can find stuff on the internet, you can find other... Uh, but although you don't know what they're censoring on the internet. Because, you know, when I'm in Dominican Republic or in Mexico, if I Google certain things, totally different things come up there to what they do in Britain. So I wonder, actually, how much we get censored in the UK. I don't know, but we definitely get censored. There's definitely censorship going on there, that's for and sure. So it is interesting. Uh, the newspapers have gone crazy. The Independent um, is... Uh, desperately in favour of the uh, the migrants coming to the UK. I had a picture of a little Afghan girl with a teddy. Um, meanwhile, the UN and the EU do absolutely nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. It just proves that these organisations are there for nobody's benefit other than their own. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If the UN and EU cannot sort this problem out, then what can they sort out? What on earth is the point of either of those institutions? They get paid a fortune, the bureaucrats, the huge buildings in New York, yet we have unprecedented um, waves of migration across Europe, uh, people undoubtedly in distress, and they do absolutely nothing to help whatsoever. Um, I, I, I find it extraordinary. And it, once again, it comes down to the nation-state. So you get borders closing, you've got Denmark closing its border to Germany, Germany now closing its border to Austria, uh, the Austrians limiting trains coming in from Hungary, um, people risking life and limb to travel from Turkey to Greece. And uh, this is where a supranational organisation should come into its own, and it's done absolutely nothing. So uh, the sooner we get out of the EU, the better, to be honest. And the UN, I wonder really what use it is. What use is it if it can't sort this out? Anyway, not the most jovial topic, the migration crisis, but uh, they're my thoughts about it for now. Um, but the, the main thing is just really how the mainstream media just twist and bend 
public opinion, and the politicians, they just go with it, don't they? They go with whatever makes them look good. Look at Cameron. That one photograph of that boy on the beach, tragic though it was, changed his entire policy. Cameron, I mean, why doesn't he have a campaign against mosquitoes? In the two weeks since that picture was published of that child on the beach in in, um, Turkey, I don't know, probably 30,000 children have died of malaria of similar age. Poor little children of uh, cherished families have lost their kids to malaria. I don't know what the numbers are, but it's going to be a lot of people, probably in the thousands. Why doesn't he have a campaign against mosquitoes then? It's just whatever the media say, they bend with public opinion. I do not want my Prime Minister to do that. I want him to have a principled view and stick by it. Anyway, they're my views. Not a great subject, but uh, here's some relaxing music to cheer you up.
Welcome back. I hope you've all had a chance to calm down from the migrant crisis. The next thing I want to talk about is advertising, and in fact, the evils of advertising. This has been something that's been annoying me for an awfully long time now. I hate adverts. I I hate people who work in marketing. I think they have evil running through their freaking veins. But the ones that really annoy me more than anything else are these adverts for banks. A number of the high street banks in the UK have started advertising recently. And the adverts are always the perfect family, oh, moving in together. Oh, the little, this one at the minute is a little child who goes, all I want is a home of my own and I want to have a snail to live with. Oh, for goodness sake. All backed up by this schmaltzy music in the background. Actually makes me want to be sick. In fact, I think once I was actually sick watching one of these adverts. What are, who do they think they are, these banks? I mean, they're all lovey-dovey, family-friendly. We're going to cuddle you, uh, hold your hand throughout the life's journey. Well, hang on a minute. Aren't you the ones that screw you over at every single stage of life's journey? The banks. How dare they? And how do the advertisers sleep at night coming up with these adverts? When they, oh, hi, yeah, we got a brief for a new advert for HBSBC or whatever it is. We got a great concept of a young child being protected through life by the bank. Well, hang on a minute. Did they ask you about the LIBOR scandal? No. No questions about that. Fixing of the interbank lending rates? Absolutely not. That wasn't asked about, was it? How about the PPI scandal? Taking vulnerable people who are scared about losing their jobs and charging them a frickin' fortune for a product that was probably absolutely no use to them whatsoever. Did they mention the fact that they cut all the business lending in 2008, putting thousands of small businesses out of business? No. Credit card protection insurance, another useless overpriced insurance product. Mention that? No. That wasn't in the advert, was it? How about helping Mexican drug barons, terrorists, and other drug kingpins launder their money? Launder their money. Mention that? No. How about interest rate hedging? Nope, that wasn't mentioned. How about manipulating foreign exchange rates? No, 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 though, that wasn't mentioned. How about illegal transactions with Iran, Sudan and Libya? Was that mentioned? No, didn't see that coming up anywhere in the advert, did you? No, just a schmaltzy music, some young child, not the evil people that are behind this, greedy, evil, venomous people who are helped by these horrible marketing agencies to come up with this stuff. Oh, it's making me quite cross, really. Really quite grand. They're building their brand, their, their banking brand. I couldn't give a crap about your banking brand. You're all evil, as far as I'm concerned, and you serve no purpose whatsoever. Honestly, collateralized debt obligations, fixing your profits, getting massive fines left, right, and center. Honestly, people at the top know absolutely nothing about what's going on. So the uh, managerial oversight is zero, absolutely zero. I mean, the directors, the people, they're mainly in some club over lunchtime having a cigar and a glass of Corvosier. They have no idea what's going on. As long as they're paying the millions of pounds a year, they don't ask any questions. So much for executive, non-executive directors having to clue what they're doing. And this advert with a schmaltz, oh, give me a break. Give me a break with your freaking adverts for banks. Just get stuffed and get back under the evil little stone from which you came from, banks. If I was a banker, I would just keep my mouth shut. I would just keep my mouth shut. 
And if anything, I just say, we're a bank. Uh, sorry. That's all we want to hear. Sorry. Meanwhile, all this goes on, all this absolute nonsense, and we've got rock-bottom interest rates, financial products which are awful. When I had to fill in my mortgage application form, they asked me all these questions about what was my mobile phone bill every month? We need to work out your monthly outgoing. So what's your mobile... I don't know. Depends how many freaking people I ring, doesn't it? What's my mobile phone... Get stuff. Nothing to do with you. How much do you spend on dog food? Dog food? Piss off. I just... Just leave me alone. I don't know. They've got the power to create money. Of course, that's the trouble. They give me the mortgage, don't they? Like they're some kind of financial god. Did they make it? No, they just press a button on the computer and I promise to pay it back. I don't know. Meanwhile, all this in the background is going on. I should ask them to fill out a form, shouldn't I? They're asking me about my frickin' mobile phone bill and how much dog food I use every week. I'll ask them a question. Dear bank of whatever, um, how much have you had to pay out in LIBOR fines? How heavily involved were you in the PPI scandal? Did you cut business lending in 2008 and put several small businesses out of business? Have you been up to your eyeballs in credit card protection insurance? How many drug kingpins have you laundered money for in the last 12 months? What is your interest rate hedging policy? Have you been uh, manipulating foreign exchange recently? How many foreign transactions have you done with Libya and Iran in the last... Why not ask a few questions to them? But oh no, we're the bank. We can create money by pressing the enter button on the keyboard, and if you don't agree and kowtow to us, we won't press enter, so you can't have a house. Too bad. Who gives them the right to do that? It's, I mean, I might sound like Jeremy Corbyn now, to be honest. Makes you want to vote for him, doesn't it? Makes you cross. Makes you really cross. Who the hell are these banks? How much do you spend on your mobile phone bill? Get stuffed. Mind your own business and stop laundering money for criminals and terrorists. Leave me alone. Schmaltzy music and all these children getting a house and growing up happily ever after through life's journey. Piss off. Gosh. Deary me. I think I might have to have a calming cup of green tea after that. Dear. Honestly. Brand awareness of your bank. Couldn't give a monkeys. You're all evil. Couldn't give a stuff. Really couldn't. Nonsense. Non- sense. Presumably some people get taken in by these adverts, so I'll try and calm down a bit now, but I'm extremely lucky because I'm immune to advertising. And people don't believe it, Jenny doesn't believe it, Uh, no one believes it, but I genuinely am completely immune to it. It doesn't mean to say I don't sometimes enjoy some adverts. They're quite clever creatively sometimes. They're still intrinsically evil because they're manipulating your mind. Um... But they have no effect on me whatsoever. And if people find it hard to believe, but it really has no effect. On advert, I, I, I notice it. Normally, after an ad break, I couldn't tell you what the adverts were. I, I couldn't. I watch them. I mean, think, oh, that's a pretty little fluffy dog, or that's a, a, a lovely, idyllic family setting. But sometimes there's some good music that they play in adverts. But if you ask me what they were advertising, I really wouldn't be able to tell you. I wouldn't be able to tell you. I don't care. I hate brands. I hate the concept of brands. It's just nonsense. I, 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 can't, I can't stand it. It's just the worst kind of thing, a brand. All these names. You know, you see these shops with names on, don't you? Like uh, Gucci and Hermes and all these 
sort of makeup and cosmetics prices they charge are outrageous and all these tests of course prove that you're better off going to your local pharmacy and just buying a completely um, non-branded product it's exactly the same stuff um, Estee Lauder probably charge you £80 for something which you can go and buy in your local pharmacy without a brand for 50p I mean really it's that bad it is that bad so I thank my lucky stars every day that I'm immune completely to advertising but I do pity people that are not because um, they must just get taken up into this little fantasy world of brand awareness and uh, lifestyle choices and what these products say about you. Absolutely nothing, really. I just think you're a bit of a sado, to be honest. Enjoying the show? Tell us about it. Send us your feedback, suggestions, or thoughts to hattrickandramsey at gmail.com. <laughs> I suppose what it does is it says a product is available. I mean, that's that's what an advert... I don't mind that. If, say, Ford bring out a new car, say, hello, this is an advert from Ford. We have produced a new five-door car. You can see it at your local Ford dealer today. That would be fair enough, I suppose. It's just giving information. And to that extent, I suppose I do notice adverts sometimes... But if you were going to advertise for me, uh, for example, a, a brand of detergent, where it was Persil or Ariel, they're the brands that you know, probably due to advertising, the fact you see them in the shop. But when I go to the shop to buy my soap for my washing machine, do I buy this brand? Absolutely not. I mean, absolutely not. I, 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 so they build their brand, fine, but I, it makes not one jot of difference to my eventual choice. Not, not one jot. I'll make my own mind up. I'll try all the different brands. Uh, that's why I quite like these shops, Aldi and, and Lidl, because they got they didn't really have any brands. So I feel much happier in there. I don't feel quite so manipulated as I do in other shops. Anyway, that's my view on uh, advertising and how I think it's a fundamentally evil thing. Um, yeah, anyway. What's up? It's your boy, Relevision, host of Five Mics Radio, Fridays at 11.30, live from New York. Shout out to the Hattrick and Ramsey podcast. In the meantime, thank you for listening to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. (laughs) 